On this episode of Warbird Radio Presents, we sit down with the Korean War fighter ace. Stay tuned. Warbird Radio Presents, the Boots Blessé story starts now. Major General Frederick C. Boots Blessé loves to fly, especially the F-86. During his military career, he flew a lot of airplanes, but the 86 holds a special place in his heart. In addition to flying, Boots has authored two books, No Guts, No Glory, and Check Six, A Fighter Pilot's Look Back. When he retired from the Air Force in 1975, he had logged over 6,500 flying hours. 650 of those were in combat. But after all that flying, the F-86 remains his favorite. Here now is Boots Blessé. Uh, I think the, the airplane I enjoyed the most was probably the F-86. I got about 3,500 hours in that. But uh, there were other airplanes too that were, were very good. And I, uh, the F-106 was a great airplane. But they, the Air Force just never developed it. They, they kept it off there uh, like the F-86D. They kept it off in the missile world, and uh, they just never did anything with it. It's too bad. You were the, the leading jet ace at, at one point when you came back home and wrote your famous book, No Guts, No Glory. And I guess your your secondary career kind of took off after that. Yeah, I think so. I, I got uh, I, I wrote I wrote that book that. You know, 1955, I think. The Air Force used it for 23 years. And then later on, about 1988, I wrote uh, Check Six, A Fighter Pilot Looks Back. And uh, that's that's been a real goal. That's in its ninth printing now. Did you ever have any idea you'd be doing this when you were flying the F-86 back then? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not complaining, though, huh? No, no. I loved it. I, uh, the 86 was so nice to fly. It was a kind of an airplane, if you didn't have anything to do on Sunday afternoon, go jump in the F-86 and, and fly around. And you wouldn't want to do that in a P-51 or an F or a, a P-47 or something. They were just not that kind of airplane, you know. It was a wonderful bird. I really enjoyed it. Describe some of the, the characteristics of flying it. Because, you, you know, you talk about Mustangs, you bring that up. And uh, Mustang's a very demanding airplane to fly. So is a, a, a number of these old round-engine warbirds and even the, the Mustang with the the straight straight line. You know, there's a lot of torque. It's it's a it's a it's a touchy airplane. You've got to be behind it. But you fly, you've flown all of the, the prop jobs, but then also the jets. What talk about the, the difference in the two of them there? The differences in them and, and flying in flying. You said the F-86 is a joy to fly. Of course, yeah. it's a okay. Jet. Uh, we we covered that. The F-86 is is just a joy to fly. If, if I had some time on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I, I wouldn't take a P-51. It's got, when you take off, it's got a, a tremendous amount of torque. And uh, when you're landing, it has some uh, some interesting characteristics. It's, you get about maybe five, t five feet off the runway, and you're about ready to land, and the tower shoots a flare, which means don't land, you got to go around. You pour the coal to it, and if you don't do it right, that sucker will roll right over on its back. And uh, so that, you know... You have to do it slowly is really what comes out of that. But 
It's, it's a fun airplane to fly, though, as you said. It, it's, it's certainly a favorite among the pilots. I was talking 51? to, well, the, the 51 and the F-86, both. I want to get with you on on your message to to today's fighter pilots. I'm sure when you when you mentor these guys and gals that are flying today, what what what's the first thing you tell them? Well, depends on what the age they are, but if they're young fighter pilots, I tell them a story that my father told to me, and uh, I'm 89, and it's well, I'll be 89 in August. Excuse me, 88, but. Uh, I've added a few of my own things, and my father was just talking about smoking. And he said, if you if you want to smoke, that's okay. Guys like your age now are going under the house and smoke. I don't want you doing any of that. If you want to smoke, you come in here, take the cigarettes out of my thing here, and you smoke in here with me. But he said, one thing i got to tell you, uh, you know, if you start smoking, you can figure any kind of a skill you have in athletics you get about 80% instead of 100%. You're not going to get all of it. It's going to take away 20 to 25% of, of what your capability is. And that's all. I was into all kinds of athletics, and that was it for me. I never smoked in my never whole life. <laughs> I never had a beer. I never had a beer. Uh, I never messed with... Uh, I, mean, I have a glass of wine about every six months when my wife and I go out. But not very often. The younger kids, I tell them... Stay away from drugs, stay away from cigarette smoking, and be careful about the girls that you choose, <laughs> and when you choose them. But uh, I can, you know, you, you can, with, with any one of those three things, you can wreck your, wreck your career and your whole damn life. You still stay involved in, in, in the day-to-day -day stuff, and I, I know that... You speak at a lot of these events, and, and people have been coming up to you. Is it, are you ever just taken aback by all of this? I'm not what? I said, are you ever taken aback by all of this uh, attention on on the? Uh, I've been doing it for I've been doing it for too long. Yeah, but it's it's good to see though. You know, people talk about America, and they say, well, you know, the country's falling apart, and we've got these problems and this problem. But then you come to an event like this, yeah. and it sort of gives you hope. It really does. Uh, I don't I don't want to get into politics or anything, but. I love this country. I've had two combat tours in Korea and two in Vietnam, and it it really truly bothers me to see one man come in and try to structurally change our whole nation from the way it's been ever since uh, ever since it was founded. I don't believe in that. I never will believe in it. Uh, if I have enough strength and they want me to go back and fight. <laughs> For our country again, I'd be glad to do it, even if it's the last fight I give them. They give you an F-86. Yeah, give me an 86. <laughs> <laughs> and you're there. <laughs> no, but it's uh, it's tragic to see to see what he's doing to uh, to the country, and if they don't impeach him or find some other way to stop him, it won't be very long before he'll have laws that will prevent you from saying anything about it. And well, once certainly there, coming out to events like this, these airplanes won't fly again. They, they want to ground them as it is. You know, you, you've flown so much, and, and there's so much we could ask you about. I, would, you, would you indulge us in a war story? And, and would you indulge us any on one of your, your missions or, or a flight that, that stands out to you? Well... I know you've told those stories so much, but... <laughs> I think... Uh, one of the closest times I came to getting killed was on my very first mission in a P-51. And it, I had, uh, 
I, I was I have to really start back a little further than that. When the Korean War started, I was in the 56th group at, at Selfridge, and I was flying uh, F-86s at that time. I had 1,000 hours in the 80 and about 120 in the F-86. Had no combat time, which bothered me tremendously. Uh, had no combat time. And so, uh, when the, the right after, 10 days after the war started, one of the personnel people came in and said, we need one P-51 pilot to go to Korea. I did three hours in a P-51. If I'm a career officer, I said to myself, there's two things you need. You need, uh, you need regular combat time, combat time. Uh, and in addition to that, if you're going to stay true to your, your feelings that you've had from your about 10 years old, uh, you were uh, so enthralled by Eddie Rickenbacker, you want to be a you want to be an Air Force pilot and you want to be an ace. Uh, maybe one of those two is possible. Even even both of them, if you're lucky. So I don't know. I just uh, went on that first. I took that uh, took that mission to Korea, that P-51 assignment. I got over there and I thought they'd with three hours in the airplane. I thought I'd get a little training in the squadron or something before we left. I got there and the guy said, uh, give the sergeant your bags and he'll take them down to your tent. Uh, you and I have to go down and get a quick bite to eat and then we're going, I got to get you to base operations. I have a P-51 sitting down there waiting for you and you, you've got to get three hours and ten landings in it today uh, because that's a, uh, that's a theater requirement before you can fly combat in this theater and you're on tomorrow morning's mission. I thought, Jesus, you're three hours of flying. I, I never flew a P-51 that had anything but it was nothing, it was clean as a whistle, and it flies like a sewer cover when you put a bunch of you put a bunch of stuff underneath it like napalm rockets, 50 caliber. But anyway, that happened. The weather was terrible. Uh, back in the states, we would have never flown. Didn't occur to anybody that that was very dangerous, and it's got about a 500-foot ceiling. It was raining. For, Trying to make takeoffs on Pierce Plank and runways were slippery as hell, and uh, I don't know. Just it, just one thing led to another. We we went. We got off. Uh, it's the first formation land, uh, takeoff I ever made in the P-51. We got off okay. Went up and got rid of our bombs or got rid of our uh, napalm on a target that a forward air controller had located, and that, he was delighted with that. And then we got a call on the radio and said. Hey, you, uh, you guys all return to your bases right away. Uh, we got uh, a lot of bad weather coming in. If you you got about a half an hour to get in, and after that, you're going to have trouble getting in anywhere. So we dropped what we were doing. Flight leader took us back to this uh, field that we it was a field in North Korea, uh, just south of south of the river. The river there's a big river just south of Pyongyang, and just just a little further south than that, there was an air base, and then there was a uh, it was better than just a grass field, but it was there was no runway there. It was a grass field, and uh, so we were told to go back to that. And uh, we got back there, and the weather was so bad we couldn't. Uh, the visibility was bad, and we couldn't see. We wanted to land there, but we were here before we could. By the time we found out and we could see the place where we wanted to land, we were at this altitude. You, and the 4,000 feet would, was gone, you know. Just, so uh, uh, after two or three passes, they uh, brought out a couple of 
55-gallon drums and had about this much oil on the bottom of them. Lit the newspaper, threw it in there, and got fires in both of those things. They put them about 100 yards apart, right on the end of the runway where we where we wanted to go. And we were able to see that. So the next pass, we go over, and the, the, the flight commander, I'm flying number two because I don't have any combat experience at that time. And um, he said, when we, when we land, the, the visibility is, t- is terrible, but stay far enough to stay as far behind me as you can and still see me. And that wasn't, that was a, probably wasn't much longer than about twice the length of this hangar. So he touches down, I touch down. Out of the corner of my eye, I see a, a six by six truck that's going trying right across the center of the runway. And I, I remember thinking, my God, the flight commander is going to hit that goddamn truck. And then he goes out of sight. And I still see the truck. It became crystal clear to me who was going to hit the truck. I hit it with a left wing, threw the airplane around and started to fly. Threw it up. The airplane uh, uh, swung around like that and went about 30 feet in the air. Came down straight down. Upside day, flipped it over on its back and ran about 20 or 30 yards upside down, digging everything. I, if I hadn't had a crash bar, it'd kill me right away. There's a crash bar in the back. And then the thing stopped, and I'm blinking my eyes and moving my fingers and toes. I'm hell, I'm not even hurt. i got to get out of here. Then I found out I couldn't move more than about two inches in any direction. I was upside down with my head pushed over to the side like that. And... Uh, had another, had another 15 or 20 seconds, 30 seconds. Gasoline starts dripping out of the fuselage tank. It's hitting me about on my butt and rolling up here. Fills up my helmet, rolls over, spills all down. I got 100 octane all over. I look like a fuse. And uh, then, fortunately, uh, there were two GIs that were close. Uh, and they had seen what happened. And they came running over. One guy had a bayonet. And the other guy had just picked up a stick of some kind, but they they dug a hole like that, mm. and then backed away and said, "Come on down through the hole." So I uh, I'm upside down. I'm covered with fuel. My helmet's got fuel in it. Uh, I, I did my safety belt, and I fell about two and a half feet into that uh, pit, and that's gas splashing all over the place. But it didn't hurt me. And uh, right away, I undid my safety belt. Climbed up over the top to get up over that thing and started running. Not too fast, maybe 100 yards in two or three seconds, something like that. <laughs> but I wanted to get away from that airplane. I knew darn well that was going to burn. It never did, by the way. But uh, I ran out there and... Uh, I was out there for about maybe a minute or two, looking back at the airplane to see if it was going to catch fire. Never did. Guy drives up in the Jeep. He said, say, the operations officer wants to talk to you. Get in. I got in there. He drives me over. Uh, this guy's about halfway down the side of the runway. And uh, I went in there, and this major was... He was doing some administrative work, and he said, uh, hey, what's the condition of that airplane? I understand you had a little trouble. And I said, yes, sir, but th- that airplane's never going to fly again, sir. Oh, really? Yeah. How about you? You want to fly anymore? I said, yes, sir. That's what I came to Korea for. I said, okay. 
we've got a uh, requirement for a four-ship flight in the tent next door, and there's only three pilots. Go over there and join them. <laughs> so I go over in this outfit. I'm, I'm so full of gas, and there's the, the flight leader is at a little podium, and he's briefing the other two guys and waiting for the fourth man, me, to come over. I came over and sat down beside these other two guys, and they both got up and moved. They couldn't stand, <laughs> the, couldn't stand the smell of all that gas. But anyway, uh, one thing led to another. He finished the, uh, He finished his briefing. We go out and we make a formation takeoff. I'm turn, turning out of traffic. I'm looking back over, and there's that damn thing is sitting upside down with the fuel fumes are streaming off of it, but it never did burn. And uh, I remember, I had, you know, I had great aspirations. Being Rickenbacker was my hero, and I wanted to be a... I wanted to be a fighter pilot, and I feel, I'd like to be a good enough one, maybe become an ace if I'm lucky. And I'm looking back over there and look at that airplane, and I said, I said to myself, Jesus, I, I got one combat mission, and my record in the Air Force now is one friendly and zero enemy. <laughs> I got to do better than this. <laughs> and that was even flew off. And eventually you did. Eventually I did. take a quick break, but when we return, we'll continue our conversation with Fighter Ace Boots Blessé. On this episode of Warbird Radio Presents, we're listening to war stories with fighter ace Boots Blessé. Here now is the conclusion of our conversation with General Blessé. Uh, by the time I finished my first, uh, my first tour... Excuse me, the second tour. This was on the second tour. No, that was on the first tour there. But I, I had a, I wrecked that P-51, and then I flew 67 missions without any trouble in the 51, and another 35 in the 80. Went back to the States, and four months later I came back over to fight the, fight the MiGs. And uh, that was... Everybody said, you are crazy in hell. What are the hell are you thinking about? You volunteered the first time, now you're going to volunteer to go back over there and get your ass shot down? Why are you doing this? My wife, my wife is three months pregnant. I went in, I said, honey, I'm sorry. I know you can't understand this, and I don't think very many people could. But you have to know what I've been thinking and how I've felt all of my life about flying. And i got to go back to Korea. What? You don't need it. And I got a big lecture from her. But uh, that was my first flight. But anyway, that uh, uh, by the time I finished with my first tour, I was I was uh, zero enemy and one friendly. <laughs> then I came back over four or five months later. When I finished that tour, uh, I buggered up an F one uh, an F uh, uh, an F eighty six on my last mission. Ran out of fuel, got in a big dogfight, shot down one, damaged another, ran out of fuel. Got out over the ocean and bailed out, and the guy came and picked, picked me up and took me home. But uh, at the end of that, by the time I went home there, I was uh, 10 enemy and 2 friendly. Hmm. 
Then 15 years later, I went to Vietnam in an F-4 outfit, flew 157 missions in the F-4. The air to ground work, all air to ground work. And we just were getting the hell shot out of us all the time. Uh, I brought back five aircraft, five F-4s that never flew again. They were Savannah. They were on fire when I landed them or they caught fire right after I got out of them. Or, but, uh, my, the, my, the Air Force uh, ran up quite a bill with you, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, they did. <laughs> by, the time I, by the time I finished in the Vietnam, I was... Uh, Ten, I was ten, friend, ten uh, enemy and eight friendly. Just <laughs> <laughs> the nature of the nature of the missions seven back friendly, then. Seven friendly. Ed. Yeah. Well, I had two, and five. Yeah, I think it was seven friendly. <laughs> but that was part of the nature of it. I mean, getting getting well, shot all to hell and back. back gonna, then. You know, if you're going to live that kind of life, uh, I I just I don't know, just, uh, just it just took it for granted that that's what I should do. That's what I'm supposed to do. The fact that you might get killed. Shit, you knew that when you started. When you went to check out in your first airplane, you knew that. So, uh, I don't know, I just... Uh, when you write about no guts, no glory, you mean it. Yeah, I did mean that. Uh, I, I wrote that within three or four months of the time I got back uh, from my second tour in, in Korea. And uh, the Air Force used that for... 23 years and I look at it today and I'm still proud of the work that, that I put into it I don't see anything that I take out of it uh, I've, had, uh, I've had more discussions than I would like to think about with senior officers when I was a major uh, back in the states about how we don't need these these guns anymore in the airplane and it's sort of, that, that's really not true we really do yeah, you guys, you guys, your aces, you don't shoot down an airplane with a gun, you think that's the only way. We got missiles now, we don't need all that. So uh, that's that was uh, when I went back 15 years later and went to Korea, I went into a P-50, to an uh, F-4 that had no guns, and uh, no guns and, and, uh, and, and no, not even a, not even a uh, sight, not even a, a, a gun sight. And I fought that business by, I, I asked, uh, I requested eight of these Su-16s. They look like a, you know what a Su-16? Yeah. I requested eight of those. Looks like a, uh, looks like a uh, wing tank, looks like a wing tank with a, with a gun sticking out of the front of it. But I requested eight of those and I got them. Everybody laughed like hell when I requested, oh yeah, sure, they're going to send you eight. I got them. And I started a project in my, in the 366 uh, fighter wing, and uh, we we developed a good plan. We developed everything that we needed. I had been uh, I'd been through the the gunnery school at Nellis, and so I developed a way that you could, without a gun sight or anything else, it's possible for you to shoot another airplane down. And uh, but we had all of that stuff in writing. When I had it all good, and, and uh, I knew how much fuel it was going to cost the wingman to carry it, or, it, no, we carried it. The, the leader and the three-man had the gun. And the, the, uh, the two and the four-man, it worked out beautifully because they were, always, they were always using up too much fuel anyway, a little more fuel than the leader and the three-man. So it, it, that worked out about right because when we took the guns, and we, we had to use a little more uh, fuel ourselves. I took that to 7th Air Force, and uh, 
took a took the briefing to uh, to uh, General Molnar. He thought that was it's pretty good. Robin Olds, he asked Robin Olds to sit in on the briefing. When when we got all through, General Molnar, uh, he's a four star then, and he's looking up like this, and he said, uh, "It's pretty interesting." He said, Robin, what do you think about that? Robin says, sir, I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. God damn, I would have gone over four, four rows of seats to grab him by the, by the throat. Yeah, he was a friend of mine, but uh, anyway, it, it worked out good. The, the, uh, F-80, the F-4E came out next, and it had 20-millimeter guns on it, and a good A, uh, I think it had the A-4C sight. And, uh, things, good career, things got good back run to normal. Had got a good run of it, and everything, as you said, went back to normal. Yeah. What do you want... What do you want people to remember about Boots Blessé? When it's all said and done, what, what do you want people to take away, remember, about your life? Well, I, I think I primarily would like them to just remember me as a successful combat pilot and, uh, and, and a, fighter for, a fighter for things in the fighter world that were going wrong and he was kind of instrumental in uh, straightening them out and getting things back on the right track. That's about it. <laughs> Thanks for spending some time with me today. My Real pleasure. pleasure. My pleasure. It's all the time we have for this episode, but stay tuned. There's more Warbird Radio coming up right after this. 